0: The rest of you can turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We're looking at body life again this morning and considering how does the body of Christ live together, work together, uh, love one another, serve one another. And um, we're looking this morning at 1 Corinthians 3 and 4 as we consider uh, God's grace and how we live in God's grace because we, we view Christianity a certain way, and we should, in the sense of uh, improvement, improving ourselves, and, Im- and improving yourself, and being uh, a part of that, that process, or, or, or seeking to improve yourself, is something that a lot of people are focused on. I don't know, if you ever just Google improving yourself, right, <laughs> there's like page after page after page after page of 25 tips of how you can improve yourself or, you know, 10 ways that, that you, you can uh, advance yourself. You know, although there's, there's improvement is something that's so important to be. That kind of, I read it, this phrase, like, here's one of the headlines, becoming the best version of yourself, right? Or being more authentically yourself, right? We, we have this I- I- idea that we need to be authentic, that we need to be the best version of ourselves, Sometimes, at least. Sometimes we just don't care, right? Like when we're hungry and we're like, I want ice cream, right? So I'm like, I don't care if it's good for me or not. I just want. But but most of the time, we, we view improving ourselves as important. And and there's some, in some ways, we always, it's just part of human existence, human nature, that we would boast in certain things and, and say, this is, These are great things about myself or who I'm with or what I'm a part of. Because in, inherently, we know that just being by ourselves or just for ourselves is, is in some ways not so great. Like, who are we anyway? There's seven billion people of us on this planet. It's like, why am I so great? And so we look for things to boast and look for things to be connected to. And here in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul is addressing the Corinthian church just saying, look, at the beginning he says of chapter three, he says, but I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. He's saying, you, you, you're believing in Christ, but you're, the way you think about following Christ is according to the flesh, according to human or man centered approaches to deciding what's good. And he's trying to correct their approach to the church community in such a way that he helps them to see the problem that it creates, as we'll see, as well as, hopefully, the correct direction to go in to truly create a community that glorifies God and is glorified in God. Because we live in a world that... If you try to go it alone, in in some ways, we're encouraged to try. Like, do it yourself. Just go go out on your own. Do your own thing. Improve yourself. Who cares about anyone else? Barbara Brockhoff, in her book, *Grapes of Wrath or Grace, tells this story. She said, a group of American tourists were taking a bus tour in Rome, led by an English-speaking guide. Their first stop was a basilica in a piazza which was surrounded by several lanes of relentless Roman traffic. After they were all safely dropped off, the group climbed the steps for a quick tour of the church. Afterwards, as they headed back to the bus, the bus was on the opposite side now of the road, and so they all spread out to board the bus to get through the traffic, right? The frantic guide shouted for the group to stay together. He hollered at them, you cross one by one, they hit you one by one. But if you cross together, they think you will hurt the car, they won't hit you. You know, there's something to be said for working together. And of course, we, we know in that sense, right? Peter tells us that the devil is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. We, we understand a roaring lion is, is that lion that's, that's seeking to frighten the herd and get one, one animal to run away. And then they go and they find the one animal and they kill that one. And there's something to be said for unity, especially unity of the spirit, being together in the body of Christ. Paul says in verse 5, he says, What then is Apollos, or what is Paul He says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. There is a sense in which God is making the, the church as this... Glorious temple to him, right? That he's building this up. That it's, it's, a, it's a process that's improving and growing and building. And yet Paul is warning them here. He's saying, hey, be careful how you build. Verse 10 says, according to the grace of God given to me, like a master, skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building on it. He'd moved, right? He'd, he wasn't actively at the, the Corinthian church right now. For no one can lay a foundation other than... Other than what that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. He's saying, look, the foundation of the church is Jesus Christ. This is this is the, the foundation of, of how the church is formed. We understand that, right? The gospel is what he's talking about here. He's saying, look, Christians believe that Christ, right, was God come in the human, in human flesh, born of a virgin, born according to the prophecies in the Old Testament became God in the flesh and then went to the cross, right? As, as John tells us, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world died on that cross but yet rose again three days later to show that God's, the sacrifice for sin has been accomplished, that God's wrath is satisfied and we have access to God and that God has now created a new people that are based on who Jesus is. And what he has done for us. We are his people. With a new calling, as Jed read this morning, right? To proclaim the excellencies of the one who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. This is who you are in Christ. This is the foundation which which Paul laid in Corinth. It's the foundation of this church as well. It's Jesus Christ. And no one, that's the only foundation that exists for glorifying God. But he's warning them. He says, "Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest. For the day will disclose it. That is the day of, of, of in that sense judgment or reckoning, right? Because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what work, what sort of work each one has done." Verse 16 says, Do you not know that you are God's temple, that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. There's a sense here, again, in which he's he's warning them, and he's saying, Look, the foundation is laid, but how? I've built something on it. Someone else is building on it. But he's also appealing to them as participants in this building process. How are you building on it what are how's how's it work for you and this morning i want to consider together in a sense this warning and the correlative uh, encouragement because we have to ask the question if we're if we're part of this community how are we how are we building on it how are we operating within it because here god clearly says that he will He will hold us to account for how we build, how we participate in the body of Christ. And so I want to notice the warning and kind of dive into it this morning from the standpoint of, in a sense, stewards of grace. The the goal here is that we would understand the grace of God, that we'd be stewards of that grace, and that we wouldn't be foolish in how we operate in the community So point number one is don't let foolishness foolishness destroy your community. Don't let foolishness destroy your community. When he says about what's wood, hay, straw, what are these things that he's talking about? Well, in the context here, you get a better picture for what he's talking about. Verse 18 says, Let no one deceive himself. If any one of you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. So let no one boast in men. He's, he's saying here there's an approach to, to living in the body of Christ. There's an approach to following God that can be foolishness. And he's, in the context here, he's talking about this division that's arisen in the church. Like, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos. Where they're, where they're elevating certain preachers or certain teachers and saying, these are the people that are most spiritual or most beneficial to you. But this isn't the only problem that he, he addresses. As you read through 1 Corinthians, you realize there's a lot of foolishness going on in the church. There's, there's that division, but there's also a lack of dealing with sin. There's lawsuits that are happening but between believers. There, there's issues of how you take communion and how you eat food with with one another. There's issues of worship and how, how worship is not supposed to just be this emotional emotional ecstatic experience, but it's supposed to be to edify one another. And so you have these issues that are in the church that are all driven by this basic problem of Fleshly or human understanding of how to pursue glory, how to pursue greatness. And he wants to correct that. Notice if you notice the negative, he he gets, in a sense, sarcastic. If you go to chapter 4 and verse 8, he gets a little sarcastic in what he talks about here. He says, to the Corinthians already you have all you want already you have become rich already you have become kings and would that you did reign so that we might share the rule with you for i think god has exhibited us apostles as last of all like men sentenced to death because we have become a spectacle to the world to angels and to men we are fools for christ's sake and you are yet you are wise we are weak but you are strong, you are held in honor, but we in disrepute. To the present hour we hunger and thirst, we are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless, and we labor working with our own hands. When we reviled, when reviled, we bless, when persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become, and are still, like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. What is he saying here? This happens often in, in Corinthians. He makes these lists. And by, by having these lists, what he's, what he's trying to get across is not that the Corinthians are doing every one of these things, but he's trying to hit lots of different scenarios to help them to see how, how they're operating, how they're thinking. Because what the flesh does, right, is it, is it judges what's good for me based on what I think's good for me, and it applies that then to other scenarios, right? Well, like, Like here, he's saying, You're wise in Christ. We're fools. We're weak, you're strong. They're they're looking at the what the sometimes the difficulties the apostles have to go through, or the situations the the apostles get into sometimes, and they think, well, that's that's no good. Like, why would you ever want to follow Christ like that? Have you ever thought that? About someone else? Like, like what were they thinking? Well, well, maybe they were thinking, I need to follow Jesus right here, even though it's hard. <laughs> just, just maybe. But, but in our flesh, what do we do? We, we pursue and we look based on human understanding of situations, and we say, well, I don't want that. I, I'm going to distance myself from that. I'm going to push that away, you know. If I see someone hungering and thirsting in my flesh, I think, Well, I don't want to get into their situation. You know, I better keep what I have. I gotta be careful that I don't get end up there. We see people that are poorly dressed or homeless, and we think again, like who would want to go there? And in our in our fleshly nature, with our fleshly human perspective, we judge other situations and say, I don't want those situations. And instead of drawing close to people and ministering to people and loving people in those situations, we distance ourselves from them. If they're poor, we're like, well, oh, at least I got this much wealth over here. That's what he's saying the Corinthians are doing. And we would do the same things as the Christians if we were operating in the same fleshly perspective. He says, you were held in honor, but we in disrepute. Like sometimes, right, the apostles had to be disrespected by the authorities and disrespected by the world. And the Corinthians evidently were at times going like, whoa, you know, let's not make too big of a scene here. This is how they operated. And this is the the challenge that, that Paul is getting into in regards to how do we follow Christ? Because... The, again, a human perspective is, is a fleshly perspective is going to say, what's in it for me? What's good for me? Right? And it's going to judge scenarios based on that rather than based on grace. Now, here I have kind of a uh, a way of approaching relationships and, and, and situations, and there's two different uh, kind of it's a, it's a grid, right? The, the horizontal continuum is kind of low anxiety. That is, we, we don't face situations with too much anxiety. We, we're, we're not too worried about how things are going to go. And some, sometimes we approach things with high anxiety, like we're very worried. We're very concerned about uh, things could go wrong. And then at the top is is when we're in relationships or in situations we're willing to work through challenges. We're we're willing to say, okay, yeah, let's let's. I know this is difficult. I know this is hard, but but let's work through it. And then at the bottom there is you you avoid challenges. And, and in this quadrant, then, the, the left the left one, left, upper right one is secure. That is, we, we approach relationships and situations with low anxiety. We, we think, okay, there's, there's, there's going to be ways that this can get solved. And if, especially in relation to other people in the situation, we think, you know what, if I need to talk to someone and work through issues, I'll work through those issues. And we're secure. That, that is, that we respond in relationships in secure ways. We believe people love us. We believe people uh, uh, can, you know, we can work through problems. We're not, like, threatened every time a small issue pops up in a relationship, right? We're secure. And think about your relationship with God. Like, if things go wrong, do you still believe God loves you? Or are like, well, maybe he doesn't like me after all? Because on, on the right-hand side is, uh, is, is, is the preoccupied. That is, they have high anxiety, but they are willing to work through challenges. And so they're always looking for the challenges, right? They're, they're always willing to bring things up and bring things up and bring things up. And they want to work through them, but, the, but it's always driven by this anxiety that's behind things. And this one over here is, is both high anxiety and they're willing to avoid things. They're avoiding problems. And so they're always just pushing things away. They're avoiding things out of fear because they're afraid of what's going to happen over and over again. Their basic response is, I don't want to deal with it, and I'm not, I just I can't. I don't know. How's this going to go? And the dismissive is just, they tend to, they're not worried about things, but they don't want to, they don't want to deal with issues, and so they're just dismissed. You know, like, oh, it's no big deal. No problem. You know, you, you, you think there's an issue here? I don't think so. And, and, and they're dismissive. And and Paul here is saying is that in the flesh what happens is, is that we get over here in these quadrants way too often. We're not secure in a relationship with God. We're not secure in a relationship with others. We, we <laughs> struggle. We get anxious. Or we avoid. And it's, it's a part, it's often driven by the way we grew up in our, in our families. Like what, what happened to our families But ultimately, it's driven partially by what we think we want out of life. What are we pursuing? And Jesus and Paul here is is asking a, a greater question, not how can you achieve greatness as a part of this group or how can you avoid problems as a part of this group. He's asking the question, whose are you? Whose are you? Are you God's? Did he make you? Did he redeem you? If he's, if, if you're his, then things are different now. You remember the story? Um, you remember the story of uh, that Jesus told the parable of the dishonest steward, right? So the steward that realized that he was going to get fired because the, the, the owner was going to come and do accounts and see how he was handling, his, handling the business. And uh, so he he realizes he's going to get fired, and so he, he goes to his, his owner's credit, uh, debtors, and he's like, okay, hey, how much do you owe my boss? And they're like, I, uh, I owe this much. He's like, you know, write it off and say, oh, you only owe this much. You know, it goes to the next day, how much do you owe my boss? "Oh, this much. Uh, write it off and say, it's only this much. And he goes to two or th- three people in the parable, at least, and, and goes around and makes that thing. And, and you're like, oh, man, that's so dishonest for the owner. Like, the owner just lost thousands and thousands of dollars. And Jesus says in Luke chapter 16, he says, The master commended the dishonest steward for his shrewdness. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails you, they may receive you into eternal dwellings. He's saying, money eventually fails. You die. But use the things that God has given you to make eternal friends, if you will. He goes on to say, one who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. What, do you, what is he saying here? The, the basic point, though, is you're a steward. You're, you're, you're owned by someone else. And if you approach life that way, that this is not just my life. It's not just the, the life that I have made for myself, but this is the life that has have been given to me by God. It's a totally different approach to life. And therefore, we should judge things totally different than how we would normally judge them. I skipped over some verses in 1 Corinthians 3, and I just want to bring your attention back to them. because they, In some ways, they're stunning. Notice verse 21 of chapter 3. So let no one boast in men. Don't boast in human ways, and human judgments, human ways of making human standards, if you will. For all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future. All are yours and you are Christ's and Christ is God, God's This is how one should regard us, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. He goes on at the end, after he's kind of been sarcastic with them, he goes back and says, "I'm I'm not trying to shame you, I'm just trying to encourage you to realize that live the way I live understand, live this way, and how is he saying to live as as a steward, as someone who is owned, but who has been given responsibilities, stewards in that sense of grace? He's saying you've received all of these things. Again, this verse is stunning because it, it reverses all the standards for human ways of thinking about things. It says all things are yours. They were all concerned. Well, Apollos is mine. I'm of Apollos, and they say, oh, no, I'm of Paul. You know, he's better than Apollos. He's an apostle, right? He's written how many books of the Bible? You know, I mean, you just do this, do the math, right? Paul's better. And and someone would say, I'm I'm of Cephas, right? I was I was saved under you know the you know the guy who 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 started sinking in the in the in the Sea of Galilee. Jesus pulled him out, right? He's pretty amazing, you know. And they were all thinking based on human understanding of what, what they had, their own experience, their own thing. And, and Paul's like, no. All things are yours. I'm yours. Apollos is yours. Cephas is yours. Are you worried about the future? The future's yours. You say, well, I'm going to die before the future comes. No, it's still yours. Life is yours. This is this is all of grace. This is all of grace. God has given us so much. Here's the analogy, right? As a church, we could say, "Well, what about the other churches' names? What about Cornerstone? What about E Free? What about the, what's going on over there?" And Paul's like, no, it's all yours. Anything that God's doing over there, it's yours. Anything God's doing here is theirs. It's it's all it's all of God. It's all his grace. It's, this is not a this is not a competition. We all stand under grace. We all stand in grace. And we're not about this, this okay. What can I have or what can I keep? I was ran across this quote. I don't know who this guy is. Bob Russell is his name, but he made this quote. It is a rare person who, when his cup frequently runs over, can thank God instead of complaining about the limited size of his mug. It is a rare person who, when his cup frequently runs over, can thank God instead of complaining about the limited size of his mug. It, it's about overfluting again, right? That's what it's about. And instead, what do we what do? We do? In, in human terms, we, we're like, well, hey, my cup's overflowing. I need a bigger mug to hold on to all that God has given me. It's all mine. No, God gives you things so that it can overflow. If you keep just getting bigger and bigger and bigger mugs and never let it overflow, God's going to be like, well, fine then, <laughs> you know. Let's go back to a small one. <laughs> How did you do it overflowing this week with grace? God, God gave you opportunities, and he gave you blessings, and he gave you encouragements, and did you share any of those with others? You maybe write a note to someone or, or do something out of love for someone because you're like, Well, God's given me time or energy or, or money, or, or I have more than I really need. Or are you still s- sitting there going, Well, I got to get a bigger cup because I can't hold all the things that God gives me, and I want to build, as Jesus said, bigger barns? We, we are called to be stewards of grace, and, and to be a steward of grace is to view. In a sense, look at all God has given me. I, I'm not in competition. I'm just using the, the, the things that are in front of me to bless others because I'm taking what I have because he does give you things. And, he, and I can share it. We, as a church, need to be sharers of grace, Grace givers. That we, that we would just not look at ourselves and think, well, how do I get more, but how do I give away what I have because I've been given so much? That is that's a radically different, non-human way of thinking about things. We, we must overflowed. It must be a part of how we operate. Because we have been given grace. Again, all things are yours, Paul says, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours. Get, just going back here for a second, like you get where that puts you, right? <laughs> You're not preoccupied like, well, maybe the world isn't mine. I got to figure out how the, I make sure the world's mine or ah, oh, I'm, I'm just fearful. I'm afraid of how everything's going to go. No, the, the future is yours too. You have grace. It is yours. You are part of this amazing thing that God is doing. Christ rose from the dead. He sent his spirit. And he started calling people from every tribe, and tongue, and nation. And he's given you a small part to play in that but is a vital part to play. As we were driving here on the way to church and it's my, it's my wife's cousin's birthday today. And so she was texting her cousin Kimmy how happy birthday, right? And her autocorrect said, it can't be Kimmy, it must be Jimmy. You know, <laughs> happy birthday, Jimmy, that's really what you wanted to say.